Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to read the Lord's Prayer again. This time, I'm going to go all the way through verses 14 and 15. And for the next two weeks, at least, we're going to talk about this idea of forgiveness. So Jesus is preaching a sermon, and He says, beginning in verse 9, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now we're focusing today on verse 12. So I'm going to read this again. Verse 12 says, And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then as you can kind of see as we read through this, verses 14 and 15 are almost like a footnote to that petition. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is God's holy word. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would bless the reading of your word. That you would teach us this morning. Thank you so much for forgiveness. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Now I think this is interesting. The way that this prayer finishes. The teaching of this prayer finishes. And then Jesus revisits the petition after the end of the prayer. With this kind of a a clarifying statement. And it's actually that statement in verses 14 and 15. That tends to cause the most confusion. And we'll see that in the coming weeks, probably next week, why that is so confusing and what it actually means. And I'm going to read verse 12 again, and I'm going to skip straight to verses 14 and 15. I'm going to leave out verse 13 so that you can kind of see how this thought is going without a, without a gap. So he says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors for... If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now when I read that, and we we read it over and over, it's pretty simple to see what the main point of these verses is. It's the word that's repeated six times in these three verses. And it's some form of the word forgive or forgiveness. The main point of this petition and then this little footnote is forgiveness. In verse 12, Jesus is teaching us to ask for forgiveness for our debts. In verses 14 and 15... He's speaking then directly to his disciples and by implication all of us Christians. And he gives us a little insight into the inner workings of forgiveness as it bears on the context of this petition. 
Because in the petition, he says, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then he, it's like he has to go back at the end and, and reiterate how that works. Now, obviously, we're still in the second half of this prayer. We're, we're looking at ourselves. And last week we looked at a petition for our physical needs, our bread. And then this week we're, we're looking at our mental needs. Or you could also say that he's addressing the consciousness of our guilt as it pertains to our minds and our, and our sin and our guilt. So the first half of verse 12, he says, and forgive us our debts. He's, we're petitioning, we're asking God to forgive us of the debts that we owe to him. And then the second half, as we also have forgiven our debtors. It's a comparison of how we want to be forgiven. In effect, he's saying, forgive us of our debts against you in the same way that we have forgiven those who owe us debts. Now, if you think about it, that's pretty bold for us to pray that. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Now, this petition assumes two things. It assumes, number one, you owe a debt to God. And secondly, that you have forgiven people who owe you debts. Like I said, that's a bold statement. If you're going to go to God and say, God, forgive me like I forgive others, that's bold because you're assuming you have given them the forgiveness that you're asking from God. And verses 14 and 15 clarify how this works. You can see there are two hypothetical statements, two ifs in those two verses. And it's all centered around the debts that other people owe to us and how we react to those debts that people owe to us. Hypothetically, verse 14, hypothetically, you can forgive others for if you forgive others their trespasses. That's one. And then also in verse 15, hypothetically, you can refuse to forgive them. But if you do not forgive others, you see how that's working. There's two options there. And the way that you respond to the debts that other people owe to you is in direct relation to how God is going to forgive you of your debts. How God responds to you. Now in these verses, we see the... The word debts, debtors, and then in 14 and 15 we see trespasses. Those words, along with several other words in the New Testament, kind of can all be grouped under one thing that we call sin. There are many words that are used in the New Testament that mean sin. And in these verses, they can be used interchangeably. So we could substitute in the place of debts or trespasses, we could say sin or sin debt. Now, if you want to get technical, there are varying degrees in all the different words. And I, and I may go into that next week. I may not. But for the, the sake of this passage, this can be used interchangeably. We could just say sin debt. So if we reworded all of this in, in Jesus' words, and, and that would help us maybe understand a little better. Jesus says, when you pray, Christian, there should be in your prayers the Spirit... Of a petition where you are asking God to forgive you of the sin debt that you owe to Him. And the forgiveness that you will receive is, is 
directly related to the way you have forgiven other people of the debts they owe to you. And the way that works is, if you forgive other people of the debts that they owe to you, God will forgive you of the debt you owe to Him. But if you do not forgive others, God will not forgive you of the debt that you owe to Him. That's why we pray and that's why we have to clarify that you're asking for the same forgiveness that you've given others. The two are related. How you respond to others and how God responds to you are related. Now, next week we're going to get into unpacking how all of that works. And you're probably already thinking, well, man, that really sounds like my salvation is based on something I do. It sounds like that. And we'll talk about that next week. But before we get to that, we have to answer some basic questions about the main topic of these verses. It brings us to the doctrine, the teaching of forgiveness. And we have to answer the question, what is forgiveness? What does that mean? We surely can't think to understand this petition in verse 12 unless we first understand and break down this word that's used twice in verse 12 and, and, and four times in verses 14 and 15. Now the word forgive means, in, in Greek it means to, to dismiss a debt. So it's almost the same way that we use it. I, would, I forgive you, I dismiss the debt. So, so to forgive someone is to dismiss the thing that they owe to you or to walk away or put aside whatever they owe to you. Now I have a good illustration. I feel like it's a great illustration. And some of you have heard this before that will kind of help us understand this idea of forgiveness. So let's say that you, anybody in here, you came over to my house and we're hanging out in the evening. We're talking, doing whatever we might do, playing games. We hang out until late in the evening. It's dark and you say, okay, I got to go home and I got to get in the bed. So I say, all right, see you later. Close the door. And you're backing out of my driveway and you back into my mailbox and you run over it and you crush it. It's mangled beyond repair. And you come back, put your car apart, come back, knock on my door. And you say, look, really sorry, I backed over your mailbox. Look, I'll do whatever, I'll, I'll fix it. You know, I'll come back and take care of it. And I say, no, I forgive you. If I tell you that, it's okay, I forgive you. I dismiss it. Then that means you have been forgiven. Now, what does that also imply if I forgive you? It implies that I'm releasing you from anything that it would take, anything that you might owe me in the case of a new mailbox. Because I have to have a mailbox. But I've said I've, I forgive you. In my forgiving you, I have absorbed onto myself the, the debt that you owe me, the, the repercussions of the accident. So if I say I forgive you, don't worry about it. Well, that means tomorrow I'm going to have to dig out the old post. I'm probably going to have to make a new post hole. I have to buy a new post, a new mailbox, put it all in. I've absorbed all of that onto myself because I forgave you. I dismissed you from it. So in forgiving a debt, you're also dismissing anything that is owed from the one indebted to you. And by implication, you're absorbing that onto yourself. I'll take care of it. If you're saying, oh man, it's, oh man, it's not a big deal. Just buy me a new one and fix it. That's not forgiveness. That's just 
the normal. That's just any way you would go about doing anything. But forgiveness means you've, you've taken on the price of the debt yourself. It's all on you because you have released them. You've dismissed their debt. You have forgiven them. That's what forgiveness is. And that's what this petition is saying. Jesus is teaching us to ask God to dismiss whatever the debt is. Dismiss the debt that we owe to Him. And in doing this, we're we're basically saying, God, I want you to take on yourself the debt that I owe to you. I want to be released from it and I want it to all be on you. We're asking to be released. We're asking to be forgiven. That's what forgiveness is. You follow me? So, now that brings up another question. Why do we need forgiveness? Why am I going to God and asking Him to forgive me of a debt? What do I owe Him that I need to be forgiven of? Now this may be review for most of us, but it's important. The minute that we forget why we need forgiveness, we will forget the gospel. We have to understand this. We could hear this every week and it would still be great. So we need to hear this. Why do we need forgiveness? And to understand this, we have to go back to the very beginning. Adam and Eve. Genesis 1.27, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So God created human beings. He created all of us in his own image and in his own likeness. Now, because God created us... In his own image and likeness, he has the authority to tell us what to do. We are just creations. We are, we are the, the offspring, the fruit of God's perfect design. Now, we're not perfect, but Adam and Eve were. We don't add to this in any way. We just simply exist because God created us. Jeremiah 18.6 says, Behold, like clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. Romans 9.21, this rhetorical question, has the potter no right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? See, God made us. We are nothing more than clay. He can do whatever He wants to do with us. He can tell us what to do, when to do it, and we are obligated to obey because he is the potter and we are the clay. That's his authority as our maker. Checking with me? He, he tells us and we say, you made me, I'll do it. Now, not only has he created us and not only does he have the authority to tell us what to do, but he has told us what to do. And he's given us rules to live by. He's given us his law. This, the moral code that we are to live by is found in the Ten Commandments. And Jesus summed all this up for us in Matthew 22 when he said, In effect, love the Lord your God with every ounce of your being, all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all the time, and love your neighbors exactly like you love yourself. And that sums up God's rules for us to follow. Over and over in the Old Testament it says that we are to be holy as God is holy. We saw in Matthew chapter 5 verse 48. You must therefore be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's the standard. Be perfect. All of those come to the same conclusion. Just be like God. 
He made you. You're in His image and His likeness. Now act like Him. Love God with all your being, all the time, without stopping. And love your neighbors in the same way that you love yourself. So God has given us His commands to obey. And we are obligated to obey those commands. Not only because God commanded us to. And because He has authority to tell us what to do and when to do it. But also because God's law is holy, righteous, and good. It is a good law. He's given us a perfect Rule, it covers every aspect of our lives if we will obey it. It's absolutely to our benefit to do what God says to do. It it will not bring us harm or hurt ever to do what He says to do. Not only does it benefit us, but once again, God commanded you to do it. He created you. He has the authority. You are obligated to do what He says to do and when He says to do it because He created you. He rules. He gets to tell us what to do. Now, here's the bad news. We've all broken God's rules. Not only have we all broken God's rules, but every one of us has individually broken all of God's rules. The law comes as a whole. And James 2 says that if you're guilty of breaking one of His rules, you've broken all of them. Have you ever... Think in your mind, have you ever given more time, money, and attention to something besides God? Or have you ever given the same amount of time, money, and attention to to God as you have something else? Have you ever used a picture or any type of image to help you, aid you in worshiping God? Have you ever used God's name in an unworthy manner? Have you ever bore the title of Christian and then acted in a way that was not honoring to God? Have you ever failed to take a day out of your week and set it aside for rest and worship for God? Have you ever disobeyed your parents or acted in such a way that would dishonor them? Or make them look bad. Have you ever murdered anyone? Or hated anyone in your heart? Have you ever committed adultery? Or looked at someone who is not your spouse with a sexual desire? Have you ever taken anything that wasn't yours? And that includes time at work that belongs to your boss, not you. Have you ever told a lie or just withheld some of the truth? Have you ever looked at something that wasn't yours and wanted it? If you've ever done one of those things, you are guilty of breaking all of them. We're all guilty of doing this. We have all broken all of these. I have broken all of these God has given us His rules to obey and we have broken them. Now, when breaking God's rules, it's not just the fact that we've broken them, broken them that's the, the, the problem. The deeper problem is that we know we're not supposed to break them. We know what we're supposed to do, and we do it anyway. We just blatantly, outright disobey. 
In effect, we take the rules that God has given us and we push them aside and say, I want to do what I want to do. I want to do as I please. And when we do this, we're acting like God's authority is not over us, but rather my authority is over me. God, you don't tell me what to do. I tell me what to do. And every time you sin, that's what this is, it's just sin. Every time you sin, in your heart, what you're doing is you're attempting to usurp God's authority. You're saying, God, get off your throne and let me sit there. Let me be God of my life. And this is called idolatry. And it's a very big problem. And see, you probably didn't even think that your little sins were that. But they all go to that root. Every sin. When you break God's law, you're saying, God... I don't want to do what you've told me to do. You don't have the authority. I want to do what I want to do. Now the problem with this is it makes God very angry. When we attempt to exalt our selfish desires over God's law, we're going against God's very nature. You remember this when we we talked about the law months back. And we saw that the moral law is... It shows us the nature and the character of God himself. And he reveals himself in that law. And so when we break his law, we're personally offending him. In essence, we're saying, God, I don't like who you are. I don't want to be like you. I want to be like myself. And this is called sin. It's such a small word, but there is so much in that that we do If you're like me, on a daily basis, we do this. And God hates sin. Habakkuk 1.13 tells us that God is of purer eyes than to look, than to see evil. And He cannot look at wrong. He's so holy that he he, He can have absolutely no relationship with sin. He cannot participate with sin. And so when we break God's law... We're acting in the very thing that is opposed to God. It is opposed to His nature. God is holy and good, and we are sinful and wicked. Now, because God is good, He must punish all wrongdoing. He must punish all evil. And that includes every single sin that you have ever committed in your entire life. He must punish. Punish it. Every time you do something contrary to God's law, you're heaping upon yourself punishment. Every time. It's just another, another thing on the list. And God is required by His very nature to punish every single one of those sins for eternity. And the Bible is very clear about this. When we sin, we break God's law. And when we do this, it's almost like you're working a job. When you go to a job, you clock in, you're on your boss's time. And you're supposed to be producing a product or doing something, whatever your job may be, in in subjection to your boss. And then you calculate your hours and your boss pays you your wages based on the work that you've done for him. Well, the Bible says in Romans 6.23 that the wage that you have earned for yourself because of sin is death. So you clock out at the end of the day and you have earned death. We've sinned against God. He is keeping the records. And he sees that rather than working for him... Most of our lives are spent working against Him. 
We have earned the punishment called death, and we owe him that. So somewhere in the equation of God's law and his expectations of us and our sin against God, in spite of all that he's done for us, we owe him a life. He gave us life out of free grace and said, worship me with your life. And we've said, I'm worshiping myself. And so we owe God a life. We have accrued the wage, death. We have backed over God's proverbial mailbox. We owe him a new one. The cost of the new one is death. Now God is infinitely holy. And because he is infinitely holy and because we have sinned against him, we deserve infinite punishment in hell because we've sinned against him. I say this all the time that the punishment due to someone is based on the the worth of the thing that is sinned against. So if I sin against a rock, I'm not very guilty. If I sin against a toad, once again, not very guilty. If I sin against someone's dog... Okay, now I'm treading on thin ice and people have gone to jail for doing those things. If I sin against another human being, based on whatever the crime is, you're in trouble. If I sin against an infinitely and eternally holy God, then I am to be punished accordingly. God has shown us nothing but grace upon grace upon grace And he is of purer eyes than to look on wickedness. And I am deserving of infinite punishment of the severest kind. Because I've done nothing but trample his grace. Trample his goodness. And I deserve punishment. The the Bible calls this punishment outer darkness. Where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Where the smoke of their torment goes up for eternity. The lake of fire. We owe God that. And he owes us that. Now, I don't think anyone here wants to pay that debt. Can we all agree? I I don't want to pay that debt. So our only hope, the only hope we have is to ask for the forgiveness of that debt. You can't pay it back. You can't work it off. Your only hope is that God would dismiss that, that you owe him, that sin debt, and absorb it unto himself. The good news is that God, foreseeing all that would take place, put into effect a plan before the foundation of the world in which he would actually be incarnate as a human being. The Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, came incarnated as a human being, born of the Virgin Mary, and lived on this earth as a human being for 33 years. And then... Well, during that 33 years, he lived the perfect life that each of us owe God. See, God gave us a life that's supposed to be lived for him. We've lived it for ourselves. We owe God a perfect life that we didn't live. Jesus came and lived the perfect life in our place. And then he was crucified under the reign of Pontius Pilate. Then not only did he live the life that we were supposed to live, but he died the death that we were supposed to, to, to get. So in his life and in his death, he paid the very debt that we owed to God. He did it. He paid it. We couldn't pay and 
He paid it. And scripture teaches that if we will confess our sin, repent of our sin, and ask for forgiveness, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. On account of what Jesus has done in our place. Now, to confess means to say the same thing as. So if I confess my sin, I'm saying the same thing about my sin that God says about it. God says he hates our sin. It's a stench in his nostrils. To repent means to change your mind. So if I repent, I'm changing my mind about my sin. No longer do I want to hold on to it and live in it, but I want to turn away from it and spurn it and follow God rather than following my sin. To ask for forgiveness means just that, what we're talking about. You admit to God that you owe a debt that you can't pay, but that you want Him to dismiss that debt on account of what Jesus has done in your place. Now, many of you have done that in the past, if not all of you. So that means you've been saved. You've been forgiven of your sins. The sin that separated you from God has been dismissed And you can now call God your father. You are now a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. If that's you, then you are the one that Jesus is teaching to pray here. Now that brings up another obvious question. Why, if Jesus is talking to Christians, those of us who have been forgiven of our sins, who have received forgiveness... And and, and, and that's taken place. Why does he teach us in this prayer that we're supposed to model to ask for forgiveness again? If it's already been done, why are we asking for it again? So let's be clear on this. If you are a Christian, if you have repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus for your salvation, you are forgiven. I'll give you a few verses to back this up. Colossians 2, 13 and 14. And you, this is us, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. If you are a Christian, that should be one of your favorite scripture verses in the entire Bible. You are forgiven. Your debt is paid. It's been nailed to the cross. Just like the song, my sin. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. That's where this comes from. You're forgiven. Hebrews 10, 10 through 14. And by that will, we have been sanctified. That means purified or set apart. We've been made holy through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. He's talking about the Old Testament system. In verse 12, but when Christ 
had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So we've been made pure, sanctified, verse 10, having been sanctified. And we are being made pure. We are being sanctified. Verse 14. The sacrifice has been made. The debt has been paid. All by one single sacrifice. One time. For all time. And Jesus sat down. That means the work is done. There's no more to be done. It's finished. In 1 John 2.12. John writing to Christians says... I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. So all that to say, just so we're clear, you are forgiven of your sin. If you are a Christian right now, if you have repented of your sin, confessed your sin, asked for forgiveness, the debt has been dismissed. God has absorbed it unto himself and then poured it out on his own son on the cross. It's nailed to the cross. It's gone. All of your sin, gone. The greatest need any human being has is to be forgiven of their sin. And the only hope that we have is that our sins have been forgiven by the death of Christ and that the death of Christ has been vindicated by the resurrection. Remember, Paul said if if Christ is not raised, we are still in our sins. If he's not raised, we are of all men most to be pitied because we're wasting our time following some guy who died. So our only hope is that our sins have been forgiven by the death of Christ and the death has been vindicated by the resurrection. That Hebrews passage says he has perfected once for all time. Those who are being sanctified. Do you hear that? Perfected. He has perfected. Past tense. It's done. Romans 3.24 says we are justified by His grace. Romans 3.28 says we are justified by faith apart from works of the law. That word justified means declared righteous. So we have been perfected once for all time. We are declared righteous on account of what Jesus has done for us in the court of God. So again, we have to ask, why are we taught to ask for the forgiveness of our sins if we have already been forgiven? We stand before God as justified and perfected once for all time by the death of Christ. Why are we asking for forgiveness again? Well, I won't finish that today. You'll have to come back next week to hear why. But I'm going to leave you with this. I'm going to leave you with two ideas. I'll explain one and then I'll explain the other next week. There are two different ways that we have to learn to understand the idea of forgiveness. And if you take a note, you can, you can call them positional forgiveness and practical forgiveness. Positional forgiveness has to do with the fact of your salvation. And practical forgiveness has to do with the joy of your salvation. So we're just going to talk about positional forgiveness today. You've got positional and you've got practical. Positional forgiveness is just that. 
It is the forgiveness that deals with your position as you stand before God and His judgment of you based on your relationship to Christ. So, if you are a Christian, we've, we've already clarified, you are forgiven. If you're a Christian, all of your sins have been wiped away. You have received the forgiveness offered in the death of Christ and God's judgment of you right now in heaven. He says, justified, perfected right now. So like we saw in those, in those scriptures, you have been declared righteous in the court of God. Your position before God is settled right now because of what Christ has done for you. That can never change. Before your salvation, whether you were young or whether you were old, before your salvation, you were at odds with God. The Bible says we are enemies of God. There's no peace between us and God. He is angry at your sin and His judgment was that you must suffer His wrath for eternity. And then He saved you. And then after your salvation... The righteousness of Christ was imputed to you. And so now, He has declared you righteous. God is at peace with you like a father and a child. There's no more wrath coming towards you. Jesus has taken it all. You will never again be punished for a sin. So now, for all eternity, positionally speaking, you stand before God as righteous. He is your father and you are his child and nothing can ever change that. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's Romans 8, 38 and 39. Nothing. Encompassed in that verse is everything. There's nothing in all of creation that can change your positional forgiveness. The position that you hold. Now, there might be one here who's not a Christian. If you've never repented of your sin, if you've never asked God to forgive you of your sin, if you've never trusted in Christ's life and death for your salvation, then None of these things are true for you. None of them. They, they don't apply. You still stand in opposition to God. There's a battle line that's been drawn. God is on one side and you are on the other. You are enemies. Now you think, well, I'm not an enemy of God, but there's only two options. You're either for Him or you're against Him. You still stand to incur God's wrath. You are heading towards that eternal punishment. God is not at peace with you. But rather, He's angry with you because everything that you are is in opposition to everything He is. You owe Him a life. You owe Him a sin debt that you can't pay, nor do I imagine that you want to pay. The good news is that you can ask to be forgiven today. You can repent of your sin today. Change your mind. Turn away from your sin today. Yesterday, it's gone. Charles Spurgeon said, tomorrow is the devil's day. The Bible says, today is the day of salvation. Don't put it off. Come to God. Receive this forgiveness. It's free. You just receive it. 
And you can be made to stand before Him as justified because of what Jesus has done for you. Why would you hold on to your sin rather than coming to the Lord? Why would you reject forgiveness, which is your only hope in the universe? Why would you reject that? There's forgiveness in Jesus if you will come. So I'm going to...